First of all, we want to thank uh, Pastor John and Sister Anita uh, for their friendship, their love, uh, for inviting us to come and be with you this morning. And uh, we want to thank the church for your prayers, for your support. Uh, this is our number one supporting church for our ministry uh, in Botswana. In fact, it started way back with um, uh, Sam, Pastor Sam, uh, was really the first pastor to get on board to help us to get to the mission field. And so this church has a special place in our lives and in our hearts. Um, I'm also going to show a, a brief video of our work in Botswana before we share the word of God together. I, I warn you ahead of time, we, you know, we had a young lady working for us. It was her first time doing this, so the sound kind of goes up and down. Most of the pictures are taken from the last couple months of our work in Botswana. Uh, we, do, do, uh, we have uh, currently three churches, a Bible school, uh, which is translated into the local language, which we're about to launch uh, nationwide over the, the Internet as well. And um, we also have a program for kids where they come and play sports, and we talk to them about the Lord, we feed them. Uh, we're in all the junior and senior schools in our area and region with an HIV character-based, Christian-based program. We're able to talk to the kids about Christ. Many of them have given their lives to the Lord. Uh, some have been saved from the brink of suicide. Thank God for what he's done. We reach about... Uh, 7,000 youth this year. Uh, actually, the schools give us their guidance period to come in and take over. The teacher actually leaves and leaves uh, our, our workers in there uh, helping the kids uh, make decisions for their lives. Uh, we also are building an orphan center. Uh, we've got a couple houses that are built, ready to open. We just need to put in the solar power. We've been delayed with that. Uh, we have need for partners to partner with us. We have a 109-acre farm as well which we're busy trying to develop. So uh, we're back in the States to let people know what God's doing and ask you to be praying and prayerfully considering partnering with us. We thank the church. So um, could you put the video on and then we'll...
latest graduation. We've trained quite a few pastors through the Bible school. Some have come in and got saved. Church leaders who are not born again have gotten in, come in and got saved. Praise the Lord. Left traditional beliefs. in the community of Osavelo. As you can see, our children are playing here. The community of Osavelo has been hit by the virus, by HIV that has left so many children as orphans. The program has had a great impact in our community and influencing the children to follow the Lord with their lives. And as a result of, of this program, the crime has gone down in the children, and also in one of the, our local schools here, their result has improved so much. And also the food that, been provide, that we are providing here for the children has been a source of nutrition for the children, and also a source of support for those families that are struggling. have disappeared from many of the schools. We praise God for the impact our, our young people are having in these schools. This is Mary's uh, Ladies Ministry. It's an outreach beyond our church where other churches are invited to come. Last year she did a lot of teaching on parenting and uh, we had several testimonies of families being transformed. She also does income generating, so she teaches them how to make small things sell them. This is our farm. These are our, we have 11 goats of our own now. And, uh, and we're here at the farm called Cogent Farm. And this is a project that we're starting to help provide for the Orphan Center and other community work we're doing. Behind me you see a field area, and this will be the first field area that we'll plant, and it's about 16 acres that we'll be planting just as soon as we get our irrigation in place. If you look at those trees in the far distance, just below those trees is a river that supplies water year round. You see, even though the farm looks very green right now, we're just coming to the end of our rainy season. And we're a semi-arid country here, and in order to grow crops year round, we need that strong water supply. <laughs> up all the construction and all our different projects. Hello and welcome to Children of Promise Orphan Center. We're standing in front of orphan home number one. As many of you are aware, about 
Botswana has been hit very hard by the HIV AIDS pandemic. Current statistics tell us that 8% of the population is made up of children who have lost at least one parent. Despite the efforts of the government, the problem is just too massive and too big. Many children find themselves in a situation where they need a place like this where they will feel loved and supported and free from neglect and abuse. We want to welcome you inside Orphan Home Number One. Each orphan home is made to house 12 children. In the future, we'll have 20 orphan homes. And we'll also build a vocational training center in Christian schools so children can leave here prepared for the future they face. We want these children to experience the truth that God is a father to the fatherless. And so we're asking you to partner with us as we're about to open orphan home number one and orphan home number two. Let's go into one of the children's bedrooms. You know, I'm reminded of one of the promises of the Lord in Psalm 127, that children are as arrows in the hand of the Lord. And as we've prayed over the years for the children that will make children of promise orphan sent to their home, the Lord has shown us that God is going to raise up children from this place to be instrumental in this nation for His glory. Orphan home number three, it's completed just recently, this last month. We've got a garden and we've planted a fruit orchard. It's one of the schools that we minister at every week. Praise God. Thank you for your part. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray and we'll get into the word of God this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're here with us and that you're for us. And Father, that you have a great plan for our lives to use us and to glorify your son, Jesus. And so we ask for your grace. We ask for grace to hear and grace to speak in the name of Jesus. May Jesus be magnified this morning. May Jesus be exalted. And may Jesus take center stage in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you have a Bible to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Always when you come to a church like this church, you pray that you don't mess it up. Thank God. God is doing good work here. Praise God. I want to share Matthew chapter 16. It's a familiar passage. And we're going to start uh, really in earnest in verse 16. But let me give you the background. Jesus has come to Caesarea Philippi. It's a place that has been named after two kings. And Jesus asked his followers a question. He says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this question. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says that on this rock, he's going to build his church. Hallelujah. 
And it is a rock of a revelation, a personal revelation of who Jesus is. See, it wasn't on Peter. He says, you know, you're Peter, you're a small pebble. But on this rock, this immovable revelation of who I am, that I'm going to build my church. And Jesus is still interested in the day in which we live in building his church. Hallelujah. Not just the church existing, but he wants the church to be built. Hallelujah. He wants the church even to come up higher and the church to expand its influence and growth. And so when Jesus found someone that had a personal revelation of him, Jesus began to speak about building his church. And this is the thing that, you know, I've come to understand in my life is that if someone has a revelation of who Jesus is, it allows Jesus to begin to build his church. Hallelujah. He said, you're not just Jesus, but you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the anointed one. You're the one that has abilities that go beyond normal people. And it's not enough for Jesus to have us believing that he's the son of God. It's wonderful to know he's the son of God. Hallelujah. But for Jesus to build his church, we need to have a revelation that he is the anointed one. And that he has abilities to do things that are not normal. Hallelujah. You know, many people have pulled away from the anointing. They've pulled away from the supernatural. They're trying to tone it down for society. But Jesus wants to build his church with a revelation that he's the Christ. Hallelujah. And that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Once Jesus was the Christ, from that point, he remains the same. He's still anointed. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus began to share about his desire to build the church. There are really three issues that I believe that he talked about in this chapter and how he would build it. I'm going to skip one of them, maybe two. Let's go um, a little bit further. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. In the original language, Peter said something like, God is too gracious to take you down this pathway. Peter had a misunderstanding. It was satanic understanding. It was a man's mind of understanding. Because Jesus was not only talking about that he would build his church, but how he would build it. And he would build it through personal suffering. And so, you know, Peter said, no, 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 this, this is not God's way. And Jesus went on to say, actually, if anyone will follow me. They must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And actually what Jesus was saying is, in order to build my church, you must have a revelation of who I am, the Christ. But you also must understand that the Christ is the Christ because he goes to a cross. And his followers also carry an anointing because they also go to their personal crosses. 
See, the church cannot be built with a bunch of followers that have a wrong understanding of God and God's grace. God's grace will bring you to your cross. God's grace will deliver you from yourself and from your selfishness and from your feelings and from your emotions. God's grace has to take you to a personal cross. And so Jesus was telling his followers, I'm going to build my church, but I need people who are willing to suffer to build it. Hallelujah. The cross is not convenient, is it? You know, one of the best definitions that I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me was the cross is doing the right things when others are doing the wrong things to us. And is that easy? No, it's not easy. It's the cross. I'm not talking about suffering sickness and suffering disease. I'm talking about suffering at the hands of people who sometimes do things that hurt us. They sometimes say things that hurt us. Sometimes we're hurt by the things that we wish they would say that they don't say. Expectations that people don't meet also cause us to suffer. But we must go to the cross. Hallelujah. And so one of the needs of Jesus is for a people who are willing to suffer so that his kingdom can be advanced. People who will deny themselves because they're caught up that he's really the king of kings. That it's not Caesar or Philip, but it's him. Hallelujah. Now, if you go with me to the book of Luke chapter 17... Jesus was talking about the subject of forgiveness. In verse 5, after telling them that they must forgive over and over again, the disciples responded by saying in verse 5, Lord, increase our faith. You know, it takes faith to forgive people. Then Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this Mulberry tree, be pulled out by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Actually, in the Greek, in the original language, it's not a mulberry tree, it's actually a sycamine tree. And the difference is a very important difference. Jesus likens the effect of unforgiveness in our lives to being like a sycamine tree. Now, a sycamine tree was, it looked a lot like a fig tree, but it was different in its character. Now, one of the things that people understood in the days of Jesus was that the sycamine tree was the tree that was preferred to make coffins and caskets. And so what Jesus is saying here is, you need to uproot unforgiveness in your life. You need to uproot it because it has the ability to bury you. It can bury your potential. It can bury your calling. It can bury your relationships. It can bury your marriage. It can even bury a church. And so Jesus said, you got to uproot this tree. you got to get it out of your life. Otherwise, it will fashion a casket for you. And I found in life, in ministry, in marriage, in parenting that there are opportunities to let things get on the inside of us and root on the inside of us and actually kill off God's plan and desires. 
And so Jesus told his disciples, you're going to have to go to the cross. You're going to have to face pain, but you're going to have to handle it differently than the world. You're going to have to take it to the cross. You're going to have to let it have its work in you. And you're going to have to keep loving and keep giving and keep sharing. Hallelujah. And don't let it bury you. See, I believe the devil knows and he's concerned about our potential. Number one, he doesn't want you to have a revelation of Jesus. But once you get a revelation of Jesus, you become really a very big threat to him. And so one of the things he tries to do is to bury that threat by having things said and done potentially to root into your life like a sycamine tree. Now, a sycamine tree, if you just cut it at the surface, it would grow back. It was different than other trees. It was a stubborn tree. You had to uproot it. In fact, even if a branch broke off of a sycamine tree, it had the ability to fall on the ground and start another tree. Kind of a devil's tree in a sense, isn't it? You know, that sometimes happens, right? We get hurt, we get bitter, we get broken. And sometimes a branch falls off of us and builds someone else's sycamine tree. We have to be very careful because the Bible says you can get a root of bitterness in you and by it defile many. You can dirty other people with your bitterness. Pieces of your tree can break off and form other trees. And sometimes whole groups, instead of being an orchard of figs, which brings life to others, is an orchard of sycamine trees. And the sycamine tree was also the food of the poor. The poor people couldn't afford the real figs. So they would go and they would buy the sycamine tree's fruit. Now the sycamine tree's fruit was different in that it was a bitter fruit. So you could eat it for a little while and then it would become too bitter. You'd have to set it aside. And then you come back later and chew on it a little bit more. And isn't that what we do sometimes when we get things in our hearts and we get hurt? We chew on what someone did to us and then we leave it for a little while. We go about our business and we come back and we chew on it later in the day. And then we leave it for a few minutes and then before we go to bed, we take a few more bites. And when we wake up in the morning, we're hungry to chew on it again. Have you ever been there in your life? And the thing is, is the sycamine tree will identify your spiritual poverty. It's not what you're supposed to be eating. It's the food for the spiritually poor. And there have been times in my life when I've eaten of the sycamine tree and it's brought a poverty into my life. Spiritual poverty. Hallelujah. But we can uproot the sycamine tree. The other thing about the sycamine tree that's interesting is that it was, it was pollinated a different way. A wasp would have to take its stinger and stick it right into the heart of the flower to pollinate the tree. In other words, this tree produces through a sting. Have you ever been stung before? Do you know when you get stung, it's the first potential to build a sycamine tree? Have you been stung in church? Ever been stung? Ever been stung at home? But thank God, hallelujah. Jesus said, if you got faith as a mustard seed, you can speak to this tree and you can uproot it from your life. 
Hallelujah. You know, faith speaks. And sometimes just like we speak to sickness and sometimes like we speak to disease, we also need to speak to the unforgiveness and bitterness in our heart and say, you need to leave me. I'm exercising my faith for this tree to be uprooted out of my life. You'll not build a coffin for my life in ministry. You'll not bury my marriage. You won't bury my relationships with my children. Hallelujah. I'm going to use my faith. And I'm going to speak to this thing and I'm going to uproot it from my life. And I'm not going to be responsible for planting other trees in the garden. Hallelujah. Pieces aren't going to break off me and build other sycamine trees anymore. Hallelujah. You know, I remember when we first started ministering in 2008 in Botswana and God spoke to my heart. I was up in prayer at night and he said, I want you to start playing sports with children. And I said, Lord, I don't want to do that. You know, here I am praying, you know, God increase the ministry and, you know, bless and start playing with kids. I said, I don't want to do that. I love children. But it was clear it was him. So we begin to go out in the neighborhoods and invite the children to come and play sports. They don't have Little League. They don't have T-ball. They don't have any of that. Children are not really paid much attention to. And so you had this white Lakua, that's what they call me, a Lakua, coming around, you know, the, one of the poorest areas of the country and inviting children to come and play sports. Well, people were not a fan. The schools used to have teacher-parent conferences where they would talk about us, and not in good ways. And we were the subject of much talk in the area, even suspicions about witchcraft and being used by the devil. You know that hurt? But thank God. Hallelujah. My wife and I went to the cross. Hallelujah. We kept doing the right thing. And about a year later, the school called me and I thought they were calling me to give me another, you know, speech on what I was doing was wrong. Instead, they called and they said, can you be the parent of this school? We want you to speak to the students every week. They let me in to do workshops with the teachers where I talked to the teachers about how to treat the children and the grades went up 17% in the first year. After four years, they, were, they had gone from the worst school in our town to second in the region. Hallelujah. Praise God. They even... The teachers showed up at the church and they gave me an award. They said, we want you to know church, the impact that you're having in our school. Hallelujah. And when the government saw the impact we were having, they're the ones that came to us and said, can you go into the public schools with the teenagers? Hallelujah. And then 2017, we got a request to come and speak to the leaders of the nation to speak on the subject of leadership. You know where it started? It started with a calling, but also with the cross. Hallelujah. Don't let what people say or do or misunderstand bury you. Hallelujah. Now, the cross has been the only thing that has ever de defeated the devil. I remember reading that once in the Watchman Knee book. 
cross is the only thing that's ever defeated the devil. What does that mean? Not only Jesus' cross, thank God for his cross. But Jesus, is, Jesus wanted a group of people who also went to their cross. Hallelujah. Keep doing the right things when others are not. Praise God. I'm going to get off a little bit. I feel like the Lord wants me to meddle a little bit in your lives. I can do that because I'm going to be leaving. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) You know, Jesus likens the church to a relationship between a husband and a wife. There are a few other things so much like the relationship between God and his church with a relationship between a husband and a wife. You know, the needs that a wife has is the same needs that the church has. And the needs that a husband has is the same needs that Christ has. Does Christ have needs? Yes. What's one of his needs? He needs a submissive church. A church that says, I'll do it. I'll yield. Doesn't mean I don't have an opinion, but I'll yield and I'll follow with a good attitude. Hallelujah. He needs respect. That's what a husband needs, right? And you know, we live in a day in which a lot of people are losing their respect for the Lord. I don't understand it. I don't understand some places you go and people are so casual with the Lord. He's the Lord. Hallelujah. Sometimes we need to say, yes, sir. Hallelujah. Sometimes he doesn't like the way I dress myself up. He says, you know, that's not okay. Hallelujah. Sometimes I didn't like some of the things on television. He says, shut that off. That's not legalism. That's lordship. Right? So, the woman has a lot of the same needs that the church has. He has a need to be nourished, to be cherished. You know, the word cherished means to keep warm. And so, you know, that's one of the things that a husband does. Let me just... In talking to husbands and wives, the husbands are warned against bitterness. Especially in the book of Colossians. Husbands, do not be bitter with your wives. Now, can women be bitter with their husbands? Oh, yeah, they can. But husbands are specifically warned against it. And the idea of bitterness is when you get exasperated. And, you know, the idea is you overly react. There's a harshness that enters the relationship. Something small is said and, there's a, you, know, you're, you know what I'm talking about. There's a bit of an eruption. My wife used to say to me sometimes, what is wrong with you? I mean, this is a small thing, and look at the way you're reacting. I just said this. But it wasn't that she had just said this. It was I was adding it to what she had said yesterday. And last week. And last month. So I wasn't hearing just those eight words. I was hearing the 80 words. And so husbands are warned. Do not be bitter against your wife. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus has had us give him plenty of reasons to be bitter with us. 
Thank God he hasn't been bitter with us. Hallelujah. He's gotten that out of his heart. He hasn't let it root into him. It's the platform for him to love us. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Praise God. You know, Christianity is to enter every realm of our life. And if it only enters us when we walk through the church doors, there's some serious problems. Hallelujah. You're the light of the world. Hallelujah. You're the salt of the earth. And so our Christian relationship with Christ has to transcend so that it causes us to reach out. Reaches our homes. Reaches our families. Reaches our workplaces. Let's look at um, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Notice that the relationship of the authority figure has so much potential to bring out the best in the one that's under its authority. The husband is told you can speak to her in such a way that you can bring her back to yourself and she can be what you want. Glorious. Hallelujah. Praise God. But first he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now the word give there has the idea of giving yourself in light of being judged, criticized, condemned, and crucified. Okay, in other words, not just a simple word gave. It has the idea of giving yourself to the point where you go to the cross. Because there are some times in marriage where we do judge each other. We do criticize. We do condemn. Sometimes we even crucify, right? So the husband, it says, go there and die so that you may sanctify her. In other words, when you come to a place when you're not trying to protect yourself, when you really laid your life down for the sake of Christ, you're in a position to say the right things. You're not speaking out of your hurt. You're not speaking out of your bitterness. You're, you're shaping and fashioning. You're choosing your words. You're not reacting because you've gone to the cross. Isn't it amazing when Jesus is on the cross and they're expecting all kinds of words to come out of his mouth. The Bible says he closed his mouth. And then when he opened them, isn't it amazing what he said? Father, forgive. They don't know what they're doing. Hallelujah. That's our master. That's our example. Now, wife, should you give yourself for your husband? Absolutely. But I'm, what I'm saying is the cross is the platform for having the kind of life that you want to live. Hallelujah. There's resurrection on the other side of the cross, right? But if you're always dodging the cross, you can never get to the other side where you come up higher. Hallelujah. 
You know, Jesus went to the cross. It looked like he had gone down, but that was his way of going up higher. Hallelujah. And if you want to go up higher in your relationships, if you want to go up higher in your influence, if you want to go up higher in your anointing, you got to go to the cross so that you can die and then go up higher. And then the person that goes up higher is not the same one that went into the ground. We change. Hallelujah. From glory to glory. And from strength to strength. Well, you know, I just want to change from glory to glory. How do you do that? You've got to go to another cross. Because between this glory and that glory is going to be another cross. Hallelujah. You know, you may not agree with that. But I believe it's so. You know, my sister-in-law, my brother back there, he used to be my pastor. Praise the Lord. Thank you for coming. I remember her saying to me, different levels, different devils. And that's not the truth. Say, oh, praise God, here I am. But God isn't going to keep you there. He wants you to go to another level, so he's got to expose you to other crosses. And it's very important how you respond to those who are putting the cross on you. Remember how Jesus responded to Judas? He said, friend, why have you come? You know, I wasn't being sarcastic. You know, to call someone a friend in the Jewish day was to say everything I have is yours. And he knew this is the guy. Thank God he's our example. Hallelujah. And he lives on the inside of us. And he can give us abilities that go beyond human abilities so that we can actually love our enemies. Do we feel warm and fuzzy for our enemies? No. We're not called to feel warm and fuzzy. We're called to love them. Which means doing to them what we should do. And it allows us to come up higher. You remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? They traveled a few days and they came to the waters of Marah. Remember the story? It's where God introduces himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. But you know what? Before God spoke about healing, he had to first get rid of the bitterness. So they came to the waters of bitterness and thank God the, the Jewish people had the sense to say, we can't drink this. Hallelujah. Thank God they were that bright. Because a lot of Christians are not that bright. They drink the waters of bitterness. They drink them and they drink them and they drink them. But these people have the sense to say, we can't drink this. This is not our portion. What do we do? So the Bible says Moses took a branch. Hallelujah. A tree. The cross. Symbol. And threw it into the waters. And the waters were made sweet. And when the bitterness was gone, then God said, I'll be your healer. Hallelujah. You know, there's a lot of Christians that can't get healed because they're bitter in their heart. The Bible says, may your soul prosper. Or may you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. 
So if your soul is not prospering, your soul, your heart, your emotions, the seed of your, your, your feelings, if it's not making progress, then your health cannot also progress. I'm not talking about getting a healing. I'm talking about living in health. Hallelujah. But I'm also talking about getting healing as well. Sometimes people can get, not get well because their soul is sick, not just their physical body. And they need to use their faith to uproot that soul sickness. Hallelujah. All right, well, we, we meddled enough and we're running out of time. Praise God. Bring your cross into your marriage. You know when it says husbands, you know what in the original, how it, how it plays out? It's saying... I'm having a private conversation with the husband now. Wives, I'm having a private conversation with the wives. So in other words, when God talks to the wives and tells them to be submissive and so forth, it's really a vertical assignment between God and her. Husband, you make a great mistake if you try to tell her to submit to you. Have you ever tried it? <laughs> oh, yow! Woo! Didn't work out the way you thought it would, did it? I jokingly say that used to be my favorite scripture. I used to tell Mary, you, you know, the problem, you just need to submit. And the problem was she knew her Bible, so she said, you just need to love me like Christ loved the church. And we, we'd throw Bible spears at each other and grow further apart. Two people that know the Bible so well, totally miserable with each other. Focusing on what the other person should do. Isn't it amazing when you got married? When you got married, you say, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. But when we get, after we get married, we say, you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this. But it only works if you stay in the I'll do this part. And why do I do it? Because I got a vertical assignment where the king of kings is saying, love her, give yourself for her, speak to her. Hallelujah. Because sometimes there's not enough life coming horizontally to motivate my heart to want to do the right thing. But there's a vertical desire to please. I remember we came off the mission field originally, we were on the verge of divorce. And I remember Mary saying, you know, after we started, we made the corner and we started turning for a better marriage. Thank God. Hallelujah. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than it was. Woo. Amen. And so, you know, I remember her saying, you know, God spoke to her and told her, you know, you need to, you know, do your part. And she said, but Lord, that's not fair. He needs to do this and he needs to do this. And she said the Lord was quiet. And then he went back and told her, oh, this is what you need to do. And that's how the Lord is. Because the real control in marriage doesn't come by trying to force the other person to do something. It comes by doing what God tells us to do. And when we do this, it begins to affect this. Hallelujah. Sometimes it takes time. But it begins to bring that thing back to life. You know, God said in the book of Genesis, he said, you know, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Remember what that word cleave means? It means to pursue, to capture. 
to keep capturing, to keep overtaking. So what God says to Adam, he says, you know, Adam, you don't even have a mom and dad to leave, but I'm telling you the principle, I gave her to you so that you can keep pursuing her. Keep chasing her. Keep making her feel like she's the most special person in the world. And watch what happens. You'll keep her warm. Hallelujah. You know, a lot of men really wonder what happened to the girl they dated. That girl that was kind of hot. Spicy. You know what I'm saying? When we got married, the counselor asked her, he asked me, you know, do you love Mary? I said, that's, what a stupid question. Of course I do. I didn't say that to him, but that's what I was thinking. Of course. He said, Mary, do you love Rob? She said, no, he's killed off every last feeling. I feel nothing. She had gone cold. You know how she had gone cold? I had neglected. I had stopped the pursuit. I was pursuing ministry. I was pursuing to be the man of God. I was pursuing to be the number one missionary the world had seen. I was pursuing helping everyone else. And she was growing colder. But thank God, hallelujah, the light went on. And I understood. I got a vertical assignment. And it's just as important as any other vertical assignment. And I began to pursue And at first, it was like in her heart, she was batting me away. Ah, this isn't real. You're not really sincere. But over time, hallelujah, the warmth began to come back into the relationship. Hallelujah. Praise God. God. And you can do that in your relationships as well. When you begin to do your vertical assignment, and it will include the cross. Because people don't always react the way you think they should. You keep doing the right things. Praise God. You're going to begin to make progress. Hallelujah. Don't drink the waters of bitterness anymore. Today's the day. Hallelujah. That you say, Lord, take the cross of Christ and throw it in my bitter waters and change them to sweet. Hallelujah. Let me drink again. Now that you've purified them so that I can move forward. Praise God. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 4. We're almost done. I got off subject a bit, but... You can have the marriage God wants you to have. You need to use your faith. I remember one day we were riding in the car together, going through a long journey, coming back to our senses. And I reached over and I grabbed Mary's hand and I said, thank God we didn't throw each other away. You know, because when you're going through difficulties, you begin to think, I married the wrong person. But it wasn't the wrong person. It was just the cross was not in the relationship. Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I believe that Jesus in experience became anointed at a certain point. He was the Christ. 
But there came a point when he experienced the Spirit of God coming upon him. Hallelujah. Now let me say this. Man is different than all the other animal creatures because the breath of God breathed on man or breathed in man. And man came up and was raised above all the other creatures of the earth. Hallelujah. Because he's got the breath of God. Now, when Jesus, after he resurrected, do you remember he came and breathed on them? Said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe what Jesus does when we get born again and he breathes on us, he brings us up to become another creation above the other creations, even above man. Hallelujah. And then there's something else that's God breathed, and it's the Bible. And when I read the Word of God and it becomes part of my life, it lifts me to another level. Hallelujah. And it lifts me even above those others who have simply been born again. Hallelujah. And then there's another breath of God called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that one is not a gentle breathing, but it comes like a rushing mighty wind. And when that one lands on you, hallelujah, you have the potential to come up to a whole nother level. Hallelujah. Isn't it a shame that the Bible doesn't have the place in our lives that it should? Because it has the potential to elevate us because it's made from the breath of God. All scripture is inspired. It means it's God breathed. And when that word becomes part of my life, it allows God to breathe into me again. Hallelujah. And on Monday, I need him to breathe in, to lift me above all the situations I face on Monday. Hallelujah. But once I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whoo, I've got something. Now, Jesus was the anointed one. He knew who he was. He said, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me to do these things. And one of the things that he was put on him to do was to heal the brokenhearted. You know, you and I were part of the body of Christ. We're not the body of Jesus. We're members of the body of the anointed one. Hallelujah. That means that you have a measure of the anointing in your life. And this is what the anointing does. And this is how God builds his church. He puts something in your life to help you to introduce people to Christ who will heal their broken hearts. You know what it means to be broken hearted? It's two words in the original. Broken means to be shattered. Hearted means the seat of your emotions. The seat of your will. The seat of your passions. The seat of your character. You know that, what that is saying to me is? The anointing has the ability to set someone's character right. It has the ability to heal wounds that were influenced and impacted for life. So you don't have to have anxiety disorder. Hallelujah. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be on all kinds of meds. There's a way out. The anointed one. Hallelujah. He wants to heal those shattered wounds. 
And he wants you to use your faith to say, you got to get out of my life. Sometimes those things are based in an episode. And praise God, hallelujah. They can be removed. See, we're a supernatural body, hallelujah. We're in touch with a supernatural Savior. We're the body of Christ, hallelujah. We're the body of the anointed one. Hallelujah. And when someone comes into our midst, the body of Christ, whoo, they're entering a whirlwind of power. God's presence, God's glory. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage you this morning. Let's come up higher. Let's come up higher. Let's let God breathe on us afresh. Let's take deep breaths of God again. Let's take deep breaths by looking into the word and finding out what he's saying to us and doing it. Even though it's not easy, let's submit to him. And let's go back to watering those old kind of beliefs where we prayed in tongues. Hallelujah. And we prayed in tongues some more. And we prayed in tongues some more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we prayed in tongues some more. You know what the Bible says? He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. You know what the word edify means? Repairs himself, restores himself, rebuilds himself. You know when you're speaking in other tongues, you're not just speaking gibberish. Restoration is happening. Building is happening. Hallelujah. Repairing is happening. You know what the Bible says? Love edifies. You know what that means? Love Repairs, rebuilds, restores. When you tell someone you love them, it means that you're in there to help repair them, restore them, rebuild them. You're not expecting them to be perfect. Hallelujah. And God says, I love you enough that I'm going to give you a supernatural way that you can be repaired, rebuilt, restored. Hallelujah. And sometimes when I face my cross, I first need the Holy Spirit to help me. Hallelujah. To go to that cross. Praise God. Let's be the church, the body of Christ. The world is waiting for us to arise and shine. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Hallelujah. You got things, seeds in there of the sycamine tree. Today, Uproot the tree. No more excuses. Did they do what was right? No, they didn't. No one's making excuses for them. We're not asking you to make excuses for them. What we're saying is uproot it from you. Use your faith. Because God has a plan for your life. Hallelujah. And it's to change other people's lives with the anointed one. Pastor, I think I'm done. God bless you.